0: Um, There's drama with every pregnancy, right? There's a little bit of drama, no matter what. Now, in the Christmas story, um, there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of drama really going on. I mean, there was some drama with Zachariah and Elizabeth. And she was told, you know, he was told that she would have a baby in their old age. And, of course, Zachariah couldn't speak then for nine months. A little bit of drama with Mary, Right? I mean, the angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a child. And then poor Joseph had to try to buy the story. And that was pretty hard for him to swallow. Right? I mean, I can't, I can't blame the guy. Never happened before. It's never happened afterwards. And he's supposed to believe this story. Um, the whole road trip. Was the road trip a little bit of drama? Not much. Not much. They were safe. They got there. Uh, All the hotels were booked, so there wasn't any room for them to go into the inn. And then they had a surprise visit by the shepherds, which they probably, you know, weren't really expecting. So there wasn't a whole lot of drama going on like that. But I bet every one of you in the room can relate to your pregnancy or your spouse's pregnancy or the whole drama that took place with that event, right? Right? I mean, everybody's probably got a story that you could share about a little bit of a fright or a little bit of excitement or something that was kind of out of the box. Um, when Erica, our oldest, she's 23, Erica, when Danita was pregnant with Erica, I don't know why Danita did this, but the entire pregnancy, pregnancy, she would leave the water on in the sinks. She would turn the water on and she would forget to turn the water off. And like 20 minutes later, I'd still hear the water running. And I'd like, Nita. And she goes, Oh my gosh, I forgot. She's never done it before that. She's never done it since then. She was the water woman with Erica's pregnancy. When Ethan was born, our 21 year old, when Ethan was born, the nurse looked at him and she said, I mean, this is right when it's happening. And she said, He's got an angel watching over him. His umbilical cord was tied in a knot. And she said, This boy's very, very fortunate. Now, he's not just had that angel. He's 21 years old. He's killed many angels in his 21 years of life trying to protect him. He has. And then when Emily, our, our 16-year-old, when it was time for her, Danita's water broke in the middle of the night at 1 o'clock in the morning. And at 3 o'clock, all I got to do, I got one job, right? I got one job, and that's to find the hospital. I've been to this hospital 150 times in the day. I have one job. I missed the road that the hospital was on. And Danita said to me at 3.15 in the morning, Really? I mean, really? you got one job. All you got to do is get me to the hospital. And you can't even do that. It's a whole lot funnier right now than it was then, trust me. There was no humor at 3.15 in the morning. Drama. And when we read the stories out of Luke and we read the stories out of Matthew, we don't see a whole lot of drama. But I'm going to take us today to Revelation chapter 12. And Revelation chapter 12 is the birth story. It's the birth narrative. And what's so confusing about Revelation chapter 12 is time. And time in Revelation goes forward and backwards in front of you and behind you and all around you. And so the time is our greatest challenge to understanding Revelation chapter 12. But in Revelation chapter 12, there is a story about the birth of the Messiah. It is the story of the cosmic war that was taking place. There may not have been a lot of drama in Bethlehem, but when we read Revelation 12, we're gonna understand there was amazing drama in the heavenlies. So turn, flip, find, phone, Bible, whatever you use to Revelation chapter 12, and we're gonna start reading some of these verses together. So here's the story of the birth of the Messiah in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. A great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. You and I read that, and we're not Jewish but from a Jewish perspective, every Jewish male and every Jewish woman would immediately recognize that's the story of Joseph. In Joseph's dream, Joseph had a dad who was the sun, the mom who was the moon. He had 11 brothers and brothers who bowed down to him. He was number 12. This represents Israel. And so every Jewish person from a Jewish perspective would instantly get, this is a story now about the Jewish nation. And this woman is gonna represent, she will represent Israel. So here's chapter 12, look at verse two with me. She was pregnant. Israel was pregnant. Mary was pregnant. Here was the Messiah was about to be born. And she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Look at verse, chapter, chapter 12, verse three, the first part of verse three. Here we go, next verse. Then another sign appeared in heaven. Next part of verse 3. Go ahead. Then another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. What is that trying to tell us? Well, that's trying to tell us about the cosmic war that's going to take place. You see, what's at stake is Satan knows and understands that if this child gets to be born, it's possible It's possible that this child will allow people to have access to God again. And so another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon. Now, when we read Luke and when we read Matthew, we don't get the cosmic war. We like the nice little silent night, holy night, you know, the whole thing going on right there, the manger scene. Folks, there was not a silent night in the heavens. There was the forces of good and the forces of evil at work against each other. Michael and his archangels were fighting to prevent the enemy, the red dragon, from devouring this child. Look at chapter 12, verse 4. Look at the next part of this verse. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, and it flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. Satan knows that if this child gets born... This child might have the potential to diminish his power, to defeat his position. The enemy knows if this child gets born. And so when we see these movies and we think about the Christmas story, we just love Silent Night, don't we? And it was a silent night, maybe in Bethlehem, but not in the heavenlies. So what happened here? How, how do we know that there is evil? And how do we know that there's someone like this? Well, Isaiah tells us this. Just stay in Revelation. I'm going to take us to some other verses. Isaiah, look at Isaiah verse. Isaiah 7:14 talks about how the Messiah will be born. I'm sorry. I mean, let me do this first. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and she will call him Emmanuel. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. chapter 9 verse 6 says, for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders 700 years before the messiah was born isaiah predicted all this would take place now go back to chapter 12 verse 4 with me i want to i'm going to do isaiah chapter 12 i mean revelation 12 verse 4 see what happened here now we've got the introduction of satan and john's having a revelation about how satan occurred and what took place Here's, here's the story of Satan in Isaiah chapter 11. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says, Have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You've been cast down to the earth, you who were once laid low among the nations. Look at verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. Verse 14 I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, verse 15. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead. This is the prophecy where Satan fell from heaven. He was called Lucifer. He was the most beautiful angel of all. He was in the presence of God, but that wasn't good enough. And so Isaiah tells us this, that he fell. Revelation tells us about the story, but it's also in Ezekiel. I want you to look at Ezekiel for just a minute. Ezekiel chapter 28 says this about Satan. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones, verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you, verse 16. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned, so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones, verse 17. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Where did Satan go? He came to the earth. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. And so Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 tells us the very same thing. It's exactly what Isaiah just said. It's exactly what Ezekiel just said. If you notice how scripture all ties together. So here's what takes place. So what's really at stake here? What's really going on? Well, look at verse 7. Let's drop down to verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7 says, Then war broke out in heaven. This is the night that Jesus was born. This was also the night when Satan tried to rebel. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Look at verse 8. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And where was he hurled to? He was hurled to the earth. And with him were his angels. And so about a third of the angels fell. And so today, if you think about this story, why would Satan try to prevent this Christ child from being born? Because he knew what was at stake. He knew that if this child was born and if this child lived, if this child was able to actually go to the cross, this child then would be able to offer a sacrifice for the sins of all people. And people would then have access to God again. And Satan wants to prevent that because he had access to God. He was in the presence of God and he lost it and he was no longer there. Satan has three goals for your life. Three goals. Goal number one. Satan wants to prevent a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Satan will do everything he can within his power to prevent you from coming to God, coming to God through Christ. Number two, Satan wants to distort your relationship with God. He's always at work trying to distort that relationship with God. And he will use people, and he will use events, and he will use circumstances. And we've all had different circumstances that make us wonder and question, and does God love me, and does God hear me, and does God answer my prayers? And if God is all-powerful, then how could he have let such and such happen? And so Satan wants to prevent that relationship with God. If he can't do that, he wants to distort that relationship with God. And if he can't do that, he wants to destroy your relationship with your Heavenly Father. You see, what happens is, if this child gets born, and if this child gets to come to fruition and really does the saving work on the cross that he claims he's going to do, then Satan's power is diminished and his position is defeated. And people will be given eternal life. People will have access to God again. And people will have the opportunity to be removed of all shame and all guilt. And so he's going to do everything he possibly can to prevent that. And so today, I think we're naive because the scriptures are really clear that when there was a fall, Satan fell here we talked last week in Revelation chapter 5 of what that's going to look like when Jesus comes back, not as the Lamb of God, but as the Lion of God. And when he comes back as the Lion of God, things will be forever different. But you and I on this earth, we're not going to be removed from pain. We're not going to be removed from problems. No matter how much we exercise, no matter how much oatmeal we eat, we're going to have physical problems. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can't shield yourself from pain and from problems. And so today on this earth, Satan's called the prince. And I just want to show you three passages of scriptures which talk about how he has control and power of so many things today. Look with me at John chapter 12, verse 31. It says, it's time for judgment on this world, but now the prince of this world will be driven out. Satan is referred to as the prince, isn't he? He's the prince of this world. Look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16 about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. What Christ did is he condemned Satan, but Satan still has access and rule and reign today. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He's called the what? The God of this age. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now the manger scene may have had little drama, but people hear me clearly this morning. When this pregnancy and this delivery was taking place there was a cosmic war occurring in the heavens a war that probably has never ever been thought of or seen before and so the goal the goal of satan has always been to destroy these 12 tribes of israel and the goal has always been to destroy especially the royal tribe of israel which is judah and to especially remove the divinic line now think about this today What other nation in the entire world has been persecuted more than the Jewish nation? This little bitty state about the size of New Jersey today is surrounded by Arabs. Now there's no explanation for how that little bitty country is even still in existence. And in 1947, the Seven Day War, 300 million Arabs all around, about 3 million soldiers, and the Jews won? And throughout all of history... I would never bet against the Jewish nation. God likes them. God has put his hand of protection on on this land. But think about this. You say, well, preacher, I don't know that I believe in Satan. I don't know that I believe in evil. I just think maybe people, you know, don't make good choices and people just don't make good decisions. Talk to some firemen. Talk to some firemen who've been on the scenes of suicides. I've talked to them. And as they've gone into a car or they've gone into a building, these firemen who aren't even Christians will tell me something evil was being removed from the scene. It was like demons were just being removed from, from from the presence. Talk to policemen. Talk to different people who've had different experiences. You don't believe that there's a presence of evil? You felt evil in your life. Ethan and I, a couple years ago, finished a pastor's conference in Managua. And we went to a late night movie with about five or six other um, Nicaraguans. And we're there in Managua. It's midnight, Managua. Danita is safely in the hotel, thank God. And we're there. And this great son of mine looks at me and I look at him. And I said, do you feel that? And he said, yeah. And Ethan said, we're in the presence of evil. And I can't explain it but the hair on the back of my neck was standing up and the hair on the back of his neck was standing up and we knew that somewhere, somebody around us was just filled with with the presence of evil. And so all along, Satan has worked so hard to try to annihilate and to kill these people. He started early in the story even when they were slaves in Egypt and and Pharaoh said, you know what, if it's a girl, let her live. If it's a boy, throw him in the Nile. The whole story of the judges, all these different tribes were trying to wipe out the nation of Israel. Why did Saul, was he incited to try to kill David more than once, more than twice, more than three times? David was, his life, because if David could be killed, then the whole messianic line would end right there, and we would never ever have a savior. You just go back through history and you think about even when King Herod was incited to to kill all these little boys, age two and under, so that the Messiah would be destroyed. We're familiar with that. There's another time when Jesus was walking in among the crowd and they wanted to force him over the cliff and, and Satan wanted to take him out like that. And so all along throughout history, we have an enemy, you have an enemy who wants to prevent your relationship with God who wants to distort your relationship with God, and he certainly, he certainly wants to destroy your relationship with God. And so Revelation chapter 12 is a story about the birth of the Messiah and how every forces of evil were at work against that Messiah from being, being born. Look at chapter 12, verse 13. Let's, look, let's keep going. Chapter 12, verse 13 says, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Look at verse 14. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half time. And that gets real confusing. And we're not going to go there this morning, okay? But I do want to talk about a couple things, the way Satan works today. I want to give you four ways that Satan works today. And I want you to really think about these four different ways, and then we're going to talk about five different things that you and I can do so that we can be victorious in our personal lives, in our professional lives, and in our family lives. So if you're a note taker and you want to write some of these down, I want to give you four different ways right now that Satan is at work in your life or wants to be at work in your life. First of all, he's always looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So there is an enemy, he was thrown down to the earth, a third of his minions came down here, and he's looking for someone to devour. Now it's hard for us to understand when we see all these beautiful children on stage, it's hard for us to understand that they have an enemy who doesn't want them to be fulfilled and happy and joyful, but an enemy who wants to fill them with shame who wants to fill them with pain, who wants to do everything he can to prevent them from having a relationship with God. That's hard for me. Is that hard for you? Because these children are so innocent. I I love the innocence. Well, okay, not all of them. Most of them, all right? But I love the innocence of these children. It's hard for us to understand that we have an enemy who wants to devour them. Number two, he opposes the spread of the gospel. And this is where Satan is always at work trying to keep the gospel story from being spread. And the gospel is the great news. The gospel is good news. And so whenever I, I'm at a funeral, I'm at a wedding, I do everything I can to, you know, kindly and politely just share the gospel story. It's, it's too good to be true, but it's too great to pass up. Number three, he oppresses individuals. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 talks about the oppression of your enemy. And number four, he uses sin to disrupt and to pollute the church. And that's why that sin always has such damaging effects in the church. And that's why we as church leaders are doing everything we can to keep our hands clean and to keep our teeth clean because sin disrupts and it pollutes the church. Okay, so that's how he works. Now, the next question that you're thinking about is, so what do we do? So say that. You were thinking that, right? So say that. Okay, so you, you were thinking that, weren't you? Okay, ask that one more time. I'm so glad you asked that question. I, I want to give you five things right now that you and I can do. Number one, we be alert. We be alert to how he works. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says. In order, See, we be alert in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.11, for we are not unaware of his schemes, so we're alert. Number two, we shut down his opportunities. He's looking for opportunities. Remember 1 Peter 5.8? He's looking for someone to devour. We shut down his opportunities. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, and do not give the devil a foothold. There's a context about inappropriate anger in that particular story, but we don't give him a foothold. We shut down his opportunities. Number three, we resist him. This is a great passage of scripture out of James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. A fourth suggestion is we put on spiritual armor. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 tells us about that put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes and again this isn't like we've got to be worried looking for a ghost behind every tree this is being prepared This is just being equipped for for spiritual battle. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through about um, 17, it talks about the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and it has all these different pieces of armor that allow us then to be able to to stand firm. But you know what the most important one of all these is? The most important one of these is, is, that you first of all, you become a Christian. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was born. Jesus came, he was born so that you would become a Christian and that you would have your sins forgiven and that you would get to go to heaven and you would then have some power and some authority and some strength to be able to live a victorious Christian life with him and for him and through him. And so number one is becoming a believer and that's what Colossians chapter 2 tells us. And Colossians chapter 2 says this, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He's taking it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And this is where you're at. This is what God has done. So here we have a passage of Scripture out of Revelation chapter 12, which is the whole story about the birth of Jesus Christ and the war that took place and the effort that it was and the struggle that it was for Mary to give birth to this incredible baby boy. So he's come. He's come to rescue us. I want to close this morning with this heart-wrenching poem by Cameo Smith. And a very good friend of mine sent this to me this week. And I just want you to look at the screen. And here's what I I I want to read this to us. "'Twas 11 days before Christmas, around 938, when 20 beautiful children stormed through heaven's gate. Their smiles were contagious." Their laughter filled the air. They could hardly believe all the beauty they saw there. They were filled with such joy, they didn't know what to say. They remembered nothing of what happened earlier that day. Where are we? asked a little girl, as quiet as a mouse. This is heaven, declared a small boy. We're spending Christmas at God's house. When what to their wondering eyes did appear? But Jesus, their Savior, the children gathered near. He looked at them and smiled, and they smiled just the same. Then he opened his arms, and he called them by name. In that moment was joy that only heaven can bring. Those children all flew into the arms of their king, and as they lingered in the warmth of his embrace, one small girl turned and looked at Jesus' face. And as if he could read all the questions she had, he gently whispered to her, I'll take care of mom and dad. And he looked down on earth, the world far below. He saw all the hurt, the sorrow, the woe. And he closed his eyes and he outstretched his hand. Let my power and presence re-enter this land. May this country be delivered from the hands of fools. I'm taking back my nation. I'm taking back my schools. Then he and the children stood up without a sound. Come now, my children, let me show you around.